Ephesians 2, and let's pray and ask God to help us look as we come to look at his word. (coughs) Lord, we thank you so much for the Bible, and we thank you that you talk to us through it. And our prayer once again this morning is, as you have done through the centuries, please talk to us as your people through your word, by your spirit. Lord, you know our lives and our hearts. You know the burdens we carry and the worries we have. You know the joys that we've experienced. Uh, You know those things that thrill us. And so we ask, please, this morning, would you talk to us into our lives and into our situations? And Lord, we ask, change us through your word today. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you, hasn't yet come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus, please, Lord, would this be the morning where you show them? Would this be the time where their lives are transformed forever after an encounter with the grace of God? And for those of us who are trusting, Lord, we know that there's always more of your grace to know and experience. So please, Lord, enlarge our hearts and our minds today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Hollywood at the moment, there's a lot of money being poured into a particular type of film. And that film is uh, biopics. Films that tell the stories of famous people and kind of put their biographies on film. People love to see, don't they, the story of how somebody became famous. What's the backstory? How do they get there? How do they grow up? And sometimes people like to note as well their fall from grace. How when at the top, they struggled and they fell, and they uh, went through trials. So over the past few years, we've had films of people like Johnny Cash and Elton John, and over coming out soon, I think, of films about Elvis and Aretha Franklin and the Bee Gees, and people love to see the stories, love to know the background, love to see what was going on um, behind the, the stage, behind the lights, as it were. We like to see those humble beginnings, like to see the rise to fame. This morning we're going to look at a story. And the truth is, this could be your story. If you're trusting in Jesus, this is your story. We're going to see the background of how someone becomes a Christian, of what happens in their hearts and what goes on as we look at this story this morning, as we look at how someone is saved. I pray that we would stand and just be just amazed at what God has done. And if you're not trusting in Jesus... I pray that this morning would be a time where you, this becomes your story. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at Ephesians and we've seen how rich a Christian is. How somebody um, can go from not trusting in Jesus to trusting in him. And in that moment, they have access to the God of heaven. They're accepted by him. They are forgiven. They are free. They are adopted into the family. Uh, They are secure in Christ. All of that is true for people who put their trust in Jesus. And um, chapter one is really Paul unpacking that for us and showing us, look at what you've got in Jesus. Look at what you've got now that you're trusting in him. And he prayed last week, he said, I pray that you would grasp what the unstoppable power of God is towards you. I pray that you would grasp all that Jesus means for you. I pray that you would get him. And in the passage we're looking at today, we're going to see the backstory, as it were. We're going to see... How does someone trust in Jesus? What goes on in those moments when they trust in him? What has happened in their lives? And what we're going to see is this. 
God is the author of it all. He has done it all. From beginning to end, it's all of him. It is all of his grace. That is his, our un, the undeserved gift that we receive from him. It's all from him. At the end of the service, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And our prayer, my prayer is as we sing that, we truly would say this is Amazing Grace. Not just a hymn that we know well, but one that we would say, wow, what he's done for us. So how is this grace so amazing? How is someone saved? What goes on? Well, we need to see that this grace is essential, it is generous, and it is transforming. They're the three headings we look at through this passage. Uh, the grace of God is essential, it is generous, and it is transforming. Let's have a look at that first one. The grace of God is essential. Now, to grasp the wonder of the grace of God and what that means for us, and to hear how somebody is saved, we need to hear how desperately we need the grace of God. And the warning is, this is not nice to hear. This is not nice to hear. We don't have a lot of no's today in society, do we? We don't like to say no to others or to people. We don't really like to be negative because we're worried about our, our kind of self-esteem. And so we're going to kind of protect that. And here is a passage that kind of cuts around all of that and gets right to the heart. And it says, look, verses one to three, this is what you were. This is your natural state as a human. This is how we're born into this world spiritually. And the first thing we're told in verse one is this. Spiritually, naturally, every human is born spiritually dead. Look what it says in verse one. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Spiritually, naturally, we have no life. We don't naturally want to seek God. We don't naturally want to follow him and his ways. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. You see, we were created, remember, to be in this relationship with God. God made us to walk in the garden, as it were, as he did with, with Adam and Eve. Had that friendship, that relationship. That's what we were created for in Eden. To be with God, to have access to him. That's what life is for. He's the source of life. He made us to know that. But the Bible then tells us that we walked out on God. We walked out on that relationship with him. We were cut off from the source of life. See, God is the source of life and we've been disconnected. One uh, preacher put it like this. It's a bit like having a hoover that you haven't plugged in. Or a vacuum cleaner, sorry. That's the, the, not, the other hoovers are available. The makes are available, isn't it? You have a vacuum cleaner, it's not plugged in and you're just dragging it around. It's not doing what it was made to do. It was made to suck up dust and muck, but if it's not plugged into the source, then you've got nothing. In the same way as humans, we're not living as we were created. We're not fulfilling the function that we were created to do, which is know and love God and to be in that friendship with him. We are disconnected from him, which means spiritually we're dead. Now, there's a big difference, isn't there, between being sick and being dead. I think we know that. If you're sick, you can admit it. You can seek help. A doctor can, can do something and say, right, you're ill, take these. That'll help you to feel better. And if you do that, you've kind of got a part to play, haven't you? You can kind of maybe diagnose something or tell your symptoms to the doctor and the doctor can then prescribe and say, right, well done for coming. We can now sort you out. But if you're dead, there's no degrees of being dead. If you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing you can do 
Now, spiritually, this is telling us we have no way of kind of rousing ourselves up spiritually. We have no way of resurrecting ourselves, of helping ourselves. We're helpless, we're dead. You see, it's not very flattering, is it, to hear? The first thing is we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But look, secondly, we're told we're captive. You walked in these ways, you followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature we were children of wrath. He says, look, you, you think you're free, but you're captive. We're dead and we're captive. So we think we're free, but actually, no, we're not. We think we're making our own decisions, but we're not. Verse 2 tells us we're, we're slaves to this world around us. We do whatever people say. We just follow every craze or trend or thinking that's around. We just go with it. Again, I said a few weeks ago, you know, you look at a photo of yourself 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And you look at maybe what you were wearing. You think, why did I wear that? Why was my hair like that? Or, or you look at the designs of um, houses and decorations and say, oh, the house is decorated like that. Why did it design? Because we've followed the ways around us. We think we're free. We think we're making the decision to wear that, to look like that. But actually, we're so influenced by those around us. They have a hold on us. We follow the diets, the fashions, the trends, the, the gadgets. We, we just are slaves to the world around us. And the Bible tells us, reminds us, that the world around us hates God. doesn't want anything to do with God. So that thinking is pushing us away and away and away. We follow not only the ways of the world, but the prince of the power of the air, Satan. We're slaves to Satan and we don't realise it. And what is Satan's biggest lie? He's telling us we're free. You're not a slave at all. You're free. You're doing whatever you want. We don't listen to anyone else. You know, just do your own thing. We might think we're free, but spiritually we're dead. Like a dead fish just following the tide. We get swept along with whatever is going on. Not only that, but we're slaves to the world, we're slaves to the devil, and we're slaves to our flesh, verse 3. Carrying the desires of our body, the passions of our flesh. We just can't say no. If our body wants it, we say yes. We think, again, we're free, but we're obeying our own passions and our desires. And that's why we so often fail at our attempts to change. And we want to change, we know what's wrong, we know what needs to be sorted, we can see the problem, but we just can't seem to sort it out. We say we'll stop, we say we won't, we say it'll change, and we end up just doing the same things again. See, why is there a gap between who we want to be and who we are? Because we don't have that spiritual life, we don't have that spiritual strength. We are uh, slaves to ourselves. And the dangerous, dangerous thing of this all is we don't realise that this is true for us, do we? We can just be going along and not realise that actually we are spiritually dead and we're captive. I remember reading of a man who escaped a North Korean prison camp. His name was Shan. And he'd been born in this prison camp. That's all he knew was life there. He didn't know anything outside of it. Because this, this interviewer asked him, well, why didn't you think of escaping? And he said, well, that thought never crossed my mind. I just thought everyone, everywhere, lived like I did. He thought everybody was in a prison camp. And he thought society outside of it would be exactly the same. He didn't know that he was a prisoner. He thought that was it, that was life. What made him want to escape eventually? Other prisoners who'd started uh, being sent into the camp were telling him about life outside, about what freedom looked like, 
And suddenly he saw the danger that he was in. See, we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually captive. And not only that, verse 3 tells us that we are spiritually, we are condemned. By nature, children of wrath. It means we deserve punishment from God. We deserve, we've offended him. We've walked out on him. We've said we're going to do things our way. And the consequences are God saying to us in one sense, fine, don't have me. If you don't want me, don't have me. It is his anger against our rebellion. Now, when we think about God's wrath, we don't like to think about that much, do we? It makes us sound like, does that mean that God is bad then if he's angry? But you see, if God wasn't angry, that would make him bad. Because his anger shows that he cares. He cares about the injustice in this world. He gets angry at um, the wars and the, uh, the innocent being killed. He hates it. He is angry towards it. He is angry towards the sin in our lives because he knows how destructive it is for ourselves and for others. How it is tearing people apart. How it is tearing families apart. How it is uh, destroying this world. He is angry at sin because he knows it is destroying those he loves. So, can you see these first three verses? They're pretty devastating, aren't they? We're spiritually, naturally, this is how we all are, dead, we're captive, and also we are um, children, we're objects of, and children of God's wrath. One person's put it, we're dead, we're dominated, and we're doomed. I wonder if you realise that this morning. Again, it's quite different to what we hear all around us, isn't it? What's this doing to my self-esteem? This isn't good news at all. But as one person has said again, they said, um, you know, you see the caption, believe in yourself. And somebody else commented on that and said, this is the same self that got me in this mess. No, thank you. (laughs) We can't do it on our own. We've got ourselves in this mess and we need help. I think, well, thanks, you know, come to church this morning and we just heard we're dead, we're, we're captive and we're doomed. What, what, where's the good news? But you see, if we don't get this, we don't see how amazing grace is. So first thing we need to see about how, how is grace amazing, we need to see that it is essential. Because secondly, we need to see that it is generous. If we understand what been, what's been said so far by Paul in those first three verses, we'll see that we, are, we can't do anything. We're spiritually dead, so we can't raise ourselves. We are heading to a lost eternity, and we are captivated by everything around us and our flesh. We, we just follow everything. We, we are spiritually dead. So what hope is there? On our own, there is no hope at all. On our own, we are stuck. So where do we turn? What happens? Well, verse 4 gives us the answer in two crucial words, but God, but God. God has intervened. God has entered into our plight and into our problem. He is rich in mercy. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he is rich in mercy. And he loves us so deeply and so dearly that he has taken the initiative to save rebellious, dead, spiritually people who don't care about him, He has come to do something. And look what we're told, verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, so when we were helpless, he made us alive together with Christ. He has made us alive with Christ, verse 6, has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's made us alive, he's raised us up, 
He's seated us with him. So here is God stepping in, looks at disobedient people who don't care about him, who want to go the opposite direction, these dead slaves, as it were, and he says, I love you, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to make you spiritually alive. And not only that, I'm going to seat you in the most honoured position, with Christ. Where is Christ seated? At the right hand of the Father. So we were dead, he says, but now you're alive. You were slaves, but look what God makes us. He makes us children of himself, sons and daughters and heirs. What about our eternal destination? We were destined for wrath and facing the hell that we deserve. What does God say here? Well, verse 7, we're told, in the coming ages, he might show immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Instead of being objects of wrath, we're objects of God's love and grace and mercy. So instead of being dead slaves who are damned, we become alive children who are blessed eternally, who are loved. Now, can you see the contrast there? Somebody who um, isn't saved, somebody who is. Now, what makes a difference? How do we get from one to the other? What has happened? Now, this is where it becomes scandalous. What makes a difference? How does somebody become from dead to alive, from slave to free, from uh, children of wrath to children of blessing and love? What makes a difference? Well, naturally, we might think, right, I've got to do this. I've got to get myself to this position. I've got to earn this love. I've got to scrub myself up. I've got to start being religious. I need to pull myself together, change everything. I need to earn it. That's what we naturally think, isn't it? But look at what we're told. Is it our attendance in church? Is it how much we pray or read the Bible? No. Look at verse 4. We'll start reading from there. God has made the difference. But God. He has done it all. And has he saved us because of our works? No. Verse 6 and 7. He said, uh, verse 5, sorry, he says, He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And look at verse 8. But by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. You've been saved, verse 5, by grace. Verse 8, again, if we, just in case we missed it, you've been saved by grace. God's gift to you is to go to you in your helpless state, to raise you up, to love you, to set you free, and to say you are going to be with me forever and you're mine. And he has done it all from beginning to end. There's nothing we can do to contribute to our salvation because we are spiritually corpses. But God has seen us in that state and has saved us. You were saved by faith, uh, by grace. And look at verse 8, says, through faith. So through trusting in Jesus. And you might think, oh, right, so at least I've got that. At least I've put my faith in Jesus and, and I've got that to say, well, I did that. Well, no, look what it tells us about faith in verse 8. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Even the faith that we have was given to us by God. So there's nothing that we've done to contribute to our salvation. God has done it all. From start to finish. That's why it says in verse 8, so that we can't boast. Uh, sorry, verse 9. Uh, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. Nobody can look at somebody else and say, I'm better than you. Nobody can look at somebody else and say, well, I got saved because of this. God did it all. It means we're all on the same level. Verse 5 to 6 tells us that when we are saved, we're united to Christ. As we've been looking at over these past few weeks, we've deserved to be 
Um, we deserve to face the wrath of God, but now we are in him. So whatever is true for Jesus is true for us. So he is alive. He is raised up. He is in the heavenly places. So where are we? Well, we get what Jesus deserves. We are in him. So how did we get this? How did we end up getting what Jesus deserved? Well, because Jesus paid the price on the cross, didn't he? He took everything we deserve. We deserve to be dead. Jesus died on the cross. We deserve to be captive. Jesus was bound on the cross. We deserve to be cast out from the Father. Jesus was separated from his Father in that moment where he cried out, why have you forsaken me? We deserve eternal punishment. And that's what Jesus, in that mysterious way, took on our behalf on the cross. He took everything we deserve. He took our seat so that we could take his seat. He did it all for us. When we read earlier in the service about Jesus dying on the cross, he didn't cry out, did he, my feet hurt. He didn't cry out, my head or my hands. No, he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the true pain he was going through wasn't physical, but it was spiritual. And he was taking that in our place. He was treated like a child of wrath. So do you see the cost of this? It cost God everything. It cost Jesus his life. And what does it cost us? Nothing. It is free. It is grace. We have nothing to say, I've done this. It's all of God. We receive all that Jesus deserves. See, the grace of God is essential. We can't do without it. We can't, we're, we're, spiritually, we're dead. We're slaves. We're doomed. But it is uh, stunningly generous because now we are accepted, we are loved, we are seated in that place of honour and we are going to be recipients of the love and the grace of God for eternity. Can you see we've done nothing to deserve this? Can you see all the glory goes to God? Now let me just talk to you and speak to you if you're not yet trusting in Jesus. Can you see here that there's nothing you can do to, be, um, to, get, make God, to make yourself right with God. God has done it all. All you have to do is trust in him. Put your trust in Jesus and it is all yours. Jesus, just say, Jesus, please forgive me for the wrong I've done. Please accept me. And he will. It is free. You can't earn it. Don't think, oh, I'll, I'll sort that out maybe when I've sorted myself out a bit. You know, when I've, when I've scrubbed my, my life up, when I've sorted my life out. No, come to him today as you are. It says there, doesn't it, um, in uh, verse 4, he says, because of his great love with us, even when, verse 5, we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. He didn't say, um, when you scrubbed yourself up a bit, when you started to do things a bit better, when you sorted your life out, then, no, 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 when we were dead. So this morning, if you are not sure where you stand, come to Jesus today. We're accepted by his love and his grace, not our works. Give up trying. And if you are a Christian, let's just think through what this, some of the things that this might mean, implications in our life to finish. Because it is essential, the grace of God. It is generous, but also it is transforming. Because if we grasp this truth, if we really get hold of what this passage is telling us, our lives can never be the same again. You might think, well, if God has saved me and forgiven me, then I'm safe, aren't I? If he's promised that one day I'll be an object of his blessing forever, then I can do whatever I want, can't I? 
I can live whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. Well, imagine for a moment that you were on holiday, far away from home, and you became seriously ill. And as you were seriously ill, you discovered that your travel insurance didn't cover the problem that you had. And you were left with just a huge bill to pay. And you didn't know what you were going to do. You know you can't pay it. And unless you have this emergency operation, you are going to die. Imagine the situation. And someone comes along and says, I'll pay that for you. I'll pay that huge bill. Don't worry about it. So then you pay it. And you find out that in order to pay, they've had to sell everything they have. And they've sold everything they have so that you could have your life. Now, after that person has saved you, would you turn around and say thank you and then ignore them? Would you just say, oh, well, I don't care about that person anymore? No, of course not. You are deeply thankful and their sacrifice for you, I'm sure, would transform your life and how you are with everything you own. Your relationship with that person is now changed forever, isn't it? See, in verse 10, we're told that there are good works for us to do. Good works for us to do. You say, ah, there's the catch. You're saved, now do good works. But look, we're told, those good works God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Even our good works are from his gracious hand. And he's provided the grace for us to do them. God says, look, I want you now to follow me. Look what I've done for you. Look how much I love you. When we realise who it is that saved us and what he's done for us, our lives can never be the same again. We can trust him, we can follow him, we can go his way. I don't know if you've seen the musical Les Miserables or read the book or seen the film. Um, In it, there's a man called Jean Valjean and for 19 years he's in prison and then he's released. And nobody wants anything to do with him uh, except for this one bishop. And while this bishop has accepted him and taken him into his home, he goes down, Jean Valjean goes down one night and he goes downstairs and he steals the bishop's silver. As he leaves the house there in the middle of the night, the police catch him and they take him back to the bishop. And what does this bishop do? Here is this man who's taken a big risk to accept Jean Valjean into his home. And here Jean Valjean Valjean has just um, abused that and he's stolen the silver. Here's the bishop's chance to get his own back. He's been betrayed, he's been hurt. What does the bishop say in that moment? The police bring him in. Here he is, he's stolen your silver, hasn't he? The bishop says, oh, there you are. I'm so glad to see you. You forgot the candlesticks. Why didn't you take them as well? You know, take these, these silver, just like the rest, take them. Once the police had gone and this been, he'd been dismissed, Jean Valjean says, well, why did you do this? And the bishop said this, Jean Valjean, you no longer belong to evil. I've bought your soul with the silver. You now belong to God. He encounters grace. He deserved to be punished. He deserved to be thrown back into prison for the rest of his days. But because the bishop was generous and kind towards him, he says, now live for God. Here is a God who says, I've saved you. I've rescued you. You're safe with me. We don't then say to him, stuff you, I'm going to do my own thing. We say, tell me if you love me that much, tell me how to live. You know what's best. You love me. You know what, you have my best interest at heart. See, if we know the grace of Jesus, our life will turn upside down. What difference does it look like? What does that look like in our lives? So I think one thing is, it would make us humble. 
We've done nothing to deserve this. God has lavished his love on us. An arrogant Christian just shouldn't exist. He's done it all. I can't look down on anybody. If you ever feel yourself tutting at somebody for their life or what they're going through, we need to take a good look at ourselves. We drift into this pride, don't we? Let's humble ourselves again by the grace of God. The only reason we are where we are is because God has done a work in our life. The only reason. It's all of him. So I can't look down on anybody. We're all equal. We're all in the same boat. It's all of God's grace. So when somebody comes in from outside, as it were, and has never been to church before, something that should strike them should be our humility. We're amazed at the grace of God because he's done it all. And we can't look down on anybody for their lifestyle, for their choices, for anything, because, but for the grace of God, that's us. All of him. So we have to say, you know, we, we, we have to look um, up at everybody, really, because we know it's all of God. It's humility. When we grasp this as well, when we grasp the grace of God, I hope you can see and maybe experience and feel now as we think on this, is there is deep joy. Deep joy. Think of the security this brings. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more than he does already. Because there was nothing you ever did to make him love you in the first place. See, if our, uh, God's love for us is based on something we had done, what happens then when we stop doing that? Well, his love for us will be based on what we've done. But God's love is based on his grace alone, which means there is nothing we can do to make him love us more. We are safe in that. God says, I loved you when you were a lost sinner. So when we fail, and when we let God down, and we think, that's it now, he doesn't love me. Why? He never loved us because of what we did anyway. He loved us because of his grace towards us. You are loved. So this week you might have come in, and you look back on your week, and it's been disastrous. You've upset loads of people, you've failed, you've, you've messed up in a big way. And you think, there's no way God wants to hear me sing praise to him today. And then next week you might come and you've had a great week. And you sing and you think, oh well, God, I'm surely God wants to hear me sing his praise this week because of how I've lived. Both weeks we stand in the same position before God. Because it is not about what we do, not about our works. It's about his grace towards us. Now, does that mean when we have a bad week and when we fail, that we feel a distance from God? No doubt. In the same way that you would in any relationship or marriage or friendship, if you've hurt someone. But we are accepted. We are loved. He never stops loving us. It is not down to our performance, but down to the grace of God. And when we get that, there is a joy that whatever we've done, however we feel, we're his. So it humbles us, it gives us a joy, but also it helps us to obey. Here is, when we grasp how much God loves us, how good he is, we will then want to know, well, look, what can I do for you? We don't doubt his motives anymore. We don't think he's holding back from us because he's given absolutely everything to save us and rescue us. God, if you love me that much, if you want what's best for me, now how do I live? How can I obey you? Tell me, show me. And we come to his word and we want to know, Lord, what's, what's the best way? He isn't trying to restrict you or spoil your fun. He wants you to be free. It should transform our obedience. 
And the last thing is this. It should make us want to share this news with others. When you see the glory of God's grace, you'll want to share it. God has done it all. There's nothing for us to do except accept his gift of grace. It's nothing to do with me. It's a free gift. So a Christian isn't somebody who goes around telling people to sort their life out. You need to sort this out. You need to sort this out. No, we're more like beggars who found bread, who want to speak to other beggars and tell them where the free bread is. It's over here. I found this. I've got to tell you. With those who are thirsty, who have found somewhere to quench our thirst, want to tell other thirsty people, look, here's the fountain of living water. Here it is. It is free and it is glorious. The grace of God is essential. We are spiritually helpless on our own, as verses 1 to 3 tell us. But they are, um, even though they're essential, there is stunning generosity in God's grace. That we are saved by his grace. We are seated at the right hand of the Father. We are set free and we are headed for a glorious eternity. All because of his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. If you're not trusting in Jesus yet, right now, even as we sing the last hymn in a moment, you can pray to God to accept you. Pray to God for forgiveness and you can leave here knowing that all this is true for you. If you have accepted Christ, then rest in this today. Rest in the truth that you are his and his forever. All of his grace. I'm going to leave a few moments silence now just for us to reflect on what we've heard and maybe to cry out to God, to pray to him in our hearts. So let's do that together in these few moments and then we'll sing together.